0: let's pray and we'll get into this series. Father, we just thank you for who you are, God, creator, fully sovereign over all things and filled with love and mercy. And you love us so much, you sent your son Jesus to rescue us. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that this series would would be um, just life transforming for all of us that we would grow and become more like you as a result and we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ amen well the series this morning is called how do we grow so just to show a hand for those of you in, who are in the room raise your hand if you if you had a new year's resolution so like a month ago Don't be afraid. Somebody had to have a... Okay, I see a couple. New Year's resolution. Well, there's been years where I've made big-time declarations, and there's been years when I've made smaller resolutions. And this year, my modest goal, I have, like, fitness stuff I track. All it says for January is I want to be able to fit in my snow pants better than I did in December. So that's my big New Year's resolution. And this afternoon, if we get more snow, I'll let you know if I... Achieved that for the month of January. But really, if you do New Year's resolutions, this is about the time that the wheels start to fall off. So we get these big plans, and then end of January, end of February, things start to fall off a little bit. So this series, take that whole picture of resolutions out of your mind. So what we're talking about is spiritual growth, transformation from the inside out. If you could just project the picture of the acorn and the oak tree. So this is a cool picture I found online. So you get a picture of an eggcorn that eventually turns into that massive tree behind the eggcorn. And spiritually speaking, that's what the Lord wants to do in us. He wants to take this little seed form of response to the gospel, and then we're to grow. And when we grow, we're going to grow deep roots into the Lord. We're going to have spiritual fruit that pleases the Lord. And we're going to be able to provide shelter, spiritual shelter and refreshment to those around us. So have that image in your mind. You are hopefully somewhere in the process from the acorn to the oak tree. Now, probably if we're honest, most of our oak trees, if we've been a Christian for a while, have like, missing branches that got lopped off because of some storm or life pressure. So we we might not look quite as beautiful as that tree, but as we seek the Lord, our roots will grow deep. So for the next five weeks, we're going to be answering the question, how do we grow? Now, one of the other things I want you to think about, don't think about this as like five steps to Christian maturity or Christian growth. Think of this more like what are five ingredients that go into the stew of Christian growth. So if we're making soup, what are some of the key ingredients that will help us grow as Christians? We're going to look at five major ones in the next five weeks, but there are many more. So this is not an exhaustive list. This is just a list that has five of the very key ingredients. But before we even get into the first ingredient for the day, which is rest in what Christ has done, we have to back up a little bit more. Because all Christian growth has to start with somebody becoming a Christian. That might seem really obvious, but you can't grow spiritually if you're not a Christian. And so I just want to talk for a moment about that. I mean, think of it this way. You can't be an apple tree that produces apples if you're not an apple tree. Kids in the room, that seems pretty simple. So you, no, no tree that's not an apple tree has ever produced apples. We can't grow spiritually if we don't know the living God. So what makes someone a Christian? How does someone become a Christian? In order for someone to become a Christian, they must put their trust in Jesus as Lord, King, and Savior through genuine faith and repentance. So in order for someone to trust, to become a Christian, they have to put their trust in Jesus. Let me read a really clear verse on this subject. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God Not a result of work so that no one may boast. In other words, God's unearned, unmerited favor is given to us through Jesus Christ, the gift of salvation. And in order to become a Christian, to begin this spiritual journey of spiritual growth in the Lord, we have to receive that gift. And we receive that gift through genuine faith when we genuinely put our trust in Jesus. We believe He is god and perfect man we believe that he obeyed the father perfectly while he was on earth we believe that he died upon upon the cross and when he hung there he took the punishment that we all deserved and then he rose on the third day conquering sin and death we need to believe that to trust in that see genuine faith and genuine repentance is a gift of the holy spirit So faith is the one side, repentance is the other. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, we turn from our sins and our moral behavior, from both our good works and our bad, and we trust in the Lord. Genuine repentance is demonstrated by ongoing trust and submission to Jesus as King. We trust in Him. So, before we get into any ingredients of how we grow, the first question we all need to ask is, are we in the family? Do we know the living God through faith in Jesus Christ? And the amazing thing, the amazing reality of the Bible is it says, if anyone calls on the name of the Lord, he or she will be saved. So if that's you, you can call out to the Lord while I'm preaching, on your way home, um, you can talk to Him immediately. And so I would highly, strongly encourage you to do that. So let's get to the key ingredient in the stew of spiritual growth today. We're going to look at one big ingredient, and we're going to look at four facets of that ingredient. And the ingredient is resting in what Christ has done. The first ingredient to growth is going to be rest. So it might be opposite of what you were thinking that we might begin with. We're going to start with learning to rest in what Christ has done. And I am convinced, both from my personal Christian life and from being a pastor for a number of years, that this first ingredient is vital, crucial, critical, to a Christian experiencing joy and peace and satisfaction in the Lord. I think way too often we skip this step. We, we just skip this. We kind of assume this, but it doesn't soak deep into our heart, mind, and soul. And so we, we, we miss out on the joy that the Lord wants us to have. All right, I know there's a number of kids in the room. And so I'm going to read a passage in the book of Romans that's going to have some technical words. The three most technical words in the passage are justified, redemption, and propitiation. That's kind of a fun word to say, propitiation. Justified means that God declares us to be righteous. So justified is a legal term. So picture the courtroom setting. Justified. When the Bible uses it, God declares us as righteous. Redemption is an accounting term. So for all of you... Um, let's say non-accountants but shoppers think of redeeming a coupon so you get a coupon um, in your email or on your phone or in the mail and then you go to redeem it so when the Bible's using redemption it's using it in the accounting term Jesus redeems us he purchases us he pays for us and then propitiation is a word that I'm going to assume most of us don't use in our everyday language But that's a big word which is super important for a Christian because propitiation means that Jesus, when He hung on the cross, He satisfied the wrath of God on our behalf. So rather than us being punished in hell forever, if you trust in Jesus, our sins have been propitiated, have been absolved by Jesus' payment On the cross for us and there's another big word kind of hidden in there called expiation and all that means is when Jesus absorbed the wrath of God it was also removed from us so we if you are in Christ and we're gonna look at this a little bit more in a moment you will never be punished for your sins because Jesus took your place that's the big word so now let's go into the passage Romans 3 but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, the first five books of the Bible, and the prophets, So it's a summary of the, the Old Testament. Verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means all of humanity, Jews and Gentiles, everyone fall short of god's perfect standard we have all sinned and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in christ jesus whom god put forward as a propitiation by his blood so we just learned verse 24 god declares us righteous in christ by his grace as a gift through the purchase that is in christ jesus whom god put forward as a substitute to satisfy the holy wrath of God that we all deserve by His blood, and we receive that by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. That's a lot of words, a lot of big words. But learning to rest in the truth of that passage, I promise you, will produce joy and spiritual growth in your life. So let me try to illustrate the truths that are found in this passage. We're going to kind of look at it from a couple different directions. So the first image I want you to get in your mind is that of a courtroom, okay? And for the sake of the illustration, picture me as the judge. So I am the judge. Imagine me wearing a robe right now with a big gavel in my hand. And imagine you as the guilty person who has entered the courtroom. You've been called in a crime, you did the crime, and you broke the law, and now you are facing me, the judge, and you have to answer to the law before the judge. And so we go through the proceedings, and we watch in video you committing the crime, and I ask you, did you commit the crime? And you're watching the video, and you say, yes, I did commit the crime. And then I say, according to law such and such, um, you are charged guilty in the state of Pennsylvania. Slam my gavel, and I say, because of your crime, you're going to spend life in prison. And you leave the courtroom. You're being dragged away. You're in handcuffs. Your head's down, your feet are shuffling, Um, you know you did it, you know you're guilty, and you understand the law, and away you go. But right before you leave the courtroom, me, the judge, I speak up, say, Wait, wait a minute, just wait a minute. And from the other side of the courtroom, I say, Wait a minute, here's my son. My son, a little bit you need to know about him, he's perfect. Not in an arrogant sense, but in a genuine sense. He's never broken the law. He's never broken the laws you just got charged for. He is perfect and innocent in every way. And here's what we're going to do. He's going to take your place. So, so, officer, could you please switch places? So, the officer goes, gets my son, puts the cuffs on him. He takes the punishment. He takes the life sentence. He goes off to jail. And you're there, and you're thinking, well, I didn't expect that. And, I, and I, I look at you, and I say, well, it gets better than you, you think. So it's not just that your, your record is going to be expunged from this crime, but you're going to be credited with my son's perfect record for the rest of your life. So whenever your name is Googled, it comes up as the most perfect law-abiding citizen. And so now joy is beginning to well up, and you, you're, you're feeling happier. You thought you were going to prison for life, and now you're not. But I say, wait a minute, there, there's one other thing. I am super rich, and I want to adopt you as my son. And everything I have is yours. And all you have to do is receive it, agree to it. So it takes you all about a nanosecond, and you say, sure. So just imagine that. You woke up that morning thinking you're going to spend a life in prison, you go home in the afternoon for sake of the illustration, you're filthy rich. You're adopted by the judge himself. And all of it is completely undeserved. And you go home and you Google your name and it was just like the judge said. Completely covered. Perfect record. Well, that is what this, these verses are talking about. That is the biblical picture of salvation. See, we are born sinful, enemies of God. If you've trusted in Christ, there was a moment in time that was your courtroom experience where that exchange happened. And that exchange can't, can't be undone. It's a permanent thing. And that is the reality of having a personal trust in Jesus. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes this. How we should rest in Christ's righteousness. In the parentheses, I have the word imputed. That just means credited. We want to rest in what Christ has done on our behalf. This is one of my absolute favorite verses in the Bible. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. He made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin, to be credited with our sins. And us who trust in Him, we are credited and clothed with His perfect righteousness. The theologians call it the divine exchange. So what that means is is If you are a Christian, you are covered and clothed with Christ's righteousness. The moment you called out to Him, He covered you. He took your place. To, to help us get our minds around this a little bit more, I want to read a passage from an author named John Bunyan who lived in the 1600s. He wrote the famous story, Pilgrim's Progress, and one of the things that a lot of people don't know about him is for years as a new Christian, he was just so guilty. He felt so guilty. He, he, he lacked assurance of a salvation. He wondered so many times if he was a Christian or not. And he writes about his experience when this truth of resting in Christ's righteousness finally settled in his mind and heart once for all. And this is what he said. He said, but one day as I was walking in the field, my conscience, once again nervous that something was wrong. They felt guilty again. This sentence suddenly fell into my mind. Your righteousness is in heaven. I seemed to see with the eyes of my soul Jesus Christ at God's right hand. And I knew that Christ Himself was my righteousness. Wherever I was, Or whatever I was doing, God would not be watching for me to lose my righteousness. For all along, it would be there, right there, beside Him. Now listen to this part and see if you can't relate. My feelings, whether they are good or bad, had nothing to do with my righteousness, with this credited righteousness of Jesus. For my righteousness was Jesus Christ Himself the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, my chains truly fell off my legs. I was set free from my worry, the captivity of fear. My temptations also fled away. See, John Bunyan finally got that the moment he trusted in Christ, Christ's righteousness was credited to him. And so that no matter how he felt, good day, bad day, great day, horrific day, he was covered in Christ's righteousness. Because I still think that you all are not 100% convinced, I have one more illustration. It's kind of a dumb one, but give it, a, give it my best shot. So what I have here is my, I know guys, it looks like the United Colors, but this is Dallastown Wildcats. This is my varsity jacket from high school. So I want you to think about Christ's righteousness as a jacket so when I put this on now it has been quite a few years since I buttoned this and put it on but I can still wear it so that's good when I put it on especially when I turn around I am part of the Dallastown Wildcats all the athletes that ever uh, went to that particular high school and when I put it on now I'm obviously not near as fast as I was when I was 17 or 16 years old. I was a runner. Um, I'm not, I mean, I'm slow. I'm really slow right now. But when you put this jacket on, my identity is with the Dallastown Wildcats, not how fast or slow I'm running or doing other athletic events. That is what happens when you trust in Christ. It is on you. You are covered and clothed in his righteousness. Later on in this series, we're going to talk about Christian growth and maturity. We're not talking about that right now. We are talking about positionally you are secure with the living God because of Christ's righteousness covering you and clothing you. This poor varsity jacket, I think my parents spent way too much money on it, and I probably wore it like three times. So, Dad, I'm still getting use of it if you're watching from Florida. Thank you for buying it. Um, so you get the idea. We are to rest in that. So that means when you wake up tomorrow morning, Lord, thank you that I'm covered and clothed in Christ's perfect righteousness. When you go to sleep tonight, Lord, thank you that I'm covered and clothed in Christ's perfect righteousness. Rest in that. All right, that first point took way too long, so we'll pick up the pace here. Second point: rest in Christ's forgiveness to rest in his righteousness. We're going to rest in the forgiveness that Christ has purchased for you. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read the whole verse, verse 432, but I just want you to really consider the last phrase. Be kind to one another. It's always good to do. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Now get this phrase, as God in Christ forgave you. As God in Christ forgave Forgave you when you trusted in Jesus. God in Christ forgave you. He forgave you of your past sins, of your present sins, of your future sins. God forgave you of everything that every wrong you've ever done. Listen to this, uh, Psalm Psalm one thirty. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities. Oh Lord, who could stand? If you, creator of heaven and earth, perfect judge, kept track of all my sins, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. You are forgiven if you are a Christian. You are forgiven. Jesus paid for every single one of your sins. And I want you to think about this idea um, sort of like if you're watching online or you're in the room, not like a test. So if I gave a test and I passed it out to everybody, and the first question said, um, let's assume you're a Christian. uh, First question says, Are you forgiven of your sins? And you just say, Yes, I'm a Christian. That's kind of fundamental to the idea of being a Christian. I'm forgiven. But if then I ask more probing questions, do you often feel guilty about sins of your past? Do you feel guilty about parental failures? Do you feel uh, guilty about um, failures as a husband or as a wife or as a friend or as a neighbor? Do you feel guilty about times where you tried to help people and it, it just crashed and burned? Do you feel, feel guilty like every direction you look, there are things that weigh on you? That is a normal Christian experience. But I think as we learn to rest in what Jesus has done, our normal Christian experience will be much more of, Lord, thank you. All those things are true. I really did those things. But you have paid for them all. You have forgiven every single one of them. See, it's not a stretch. I, I mean, We could just focus on me. I have done some terrible things in my life many before i was a christian and many in this town before i was a christian as a college student and so i can drive certain places and remember certain things and i I need to remember jesus paid for every one of those sins it's good to feel a godly sorrow a regret a grief But when it turns into shame and condemnation and just paralyzes you, that is not what Jesus has for you. He wants us to rest in His forgiveness. Many of you know the the famous hymn that has a line called, it's called, Jesus Paid It All. And it was written by a woman who actually wrote this hymn while her pastor was praying on a Sunday morning. So, Pastor's praying, and she writes this classic hymn that's sung for the last 150 years. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson, crimson stain, a deep red stain. He washed it white as snow. Jesus paid it all. Whatever area you feel guilty about as a Christian, Confess it, own it, turn from it, and believe that Jesus paid it all. That's what he was doing on the cross. He was paying for our sins. The massive ones, the ones that we feel low-grade guilt about, he paid for every one. Psalm 103 Begins with the psalmist recounting the blessings. And now we're looking at Psalm 103 through a New Testament lens so we can have complete assurance that we who are in Christ have experienced what this psalm is talking about. So for those of you who feel guilty, listen to this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all His benefits. What are those benefits? Who forgives all your iniquity, every sin. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Jump to to verse 8 here. The Lord is merciful. And gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. He deals with us as Christians according to Christ's righteousness that covers us and clothes us. Nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As far as east is from west, that's how far He removes our sins, our transgressions, our breaking of His law from us. You're to rest in that. As a father shows compassion to his children, So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. But the reality is you feel guilty at times. So I want to help you with that. God wants to help you with that. I want you to imagine that you're driving in your car and you look in your rear view mirror. And as you look in the mirror, you see, oh man, I forgot I did that. That was a terrible thing that I did. And, and as you look, you, you're starting to see more and more things. Maybe you see your grown children. If only I would have done this. If only I would have done that. If only I would have said this and wouldn't have said that. And you just, all these things are just starting to, to stack up. Then you, you go down the line of marriage. If only I would have been more like this. If only I would have been more like that. And I want you to imagine on the mirror as you're looking in your car, we'll use a truck because they have bigger mirrors. As you're looking in your truck, you had a big old mirror there. You're seeing these scenes in the rearview mirror as you look back. But across the mirror here's what is written in blood red ink. Things like paid in full, absolutely totally forgiven. No more condemnation, paid for in full. See, so we're going to blow it, we're going to mess up, but as Christians we are forgiven. We are bought. We are paid for. Romans 8.1 says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no eternal condemnation. There is no punishment eternally waiting for us. We are forgiven. Now, there can be consequences for action. But if you experience consequences for your sin as a Christian, the Bible is really clear about that. That's the expression of God's discipline. He disciplines those he loves. God spanks us when we disobey him. And that's an expression of love. But we are forgiven in Christ. Next point. We're going to rest in being covered by his righteousness. We're going to rest in his forgiveness. We're going to rest in his unwavering love. Here's where I'm going to persuade you from the scriptures that he loves you. Jesus loves you. He doesn't just love everybody in the room or everybody watching online or everybody in our town or community. He loves you. And you're to rest in that. He loves you. Put your name in there. Jesus loves you. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You and I are included in that world that God loves. That rebellious world that God sent His Son Jesus into included you and I. And so He loves you dearly. And He doesn't just love the person you might one day become, the cleaned up version of you. No, He loves you. He loves the messy you that on this day, right now, He loves you. How do I know that? How can I say that with 100% confidence? Because I can say that with 100% confidence. Well, one of the reasons is this verse in Romans. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus died for the ungodly, for the sinners, for the wicked, for the immoral. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus loves you. He loves you right now. If you never change anymore, if you never grow, if if this series crashes and burns and you don't spiritually mature at all, he still loves you dearly. And nothing can separate you from God's love in Jesus Christ. So if you are in, if you have trusted and received Jesus, nothing, 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 nothing in all the world can separate you from God's love. You need to stop looking at your life circumstances or world circumstances or our country circumstances and interpret that's who God is. That's what he's like. That's what he thinks of me. Because if you do that, it's like those old um, funhouse mirrors. You're going to get a really distorted view of God. Now, if you want to see what God is like, and you want to see it with crystal clarity, you've got to look at His Word. And in His Word, He tells us that He loves us, and He tells us nothing can separate us from that love. Listen to this, Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things, this good news about Jesus? If God is for us, who can be against us? These are rhetorical questions. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect, God's chosen people? That's you and I, if you are in Christ. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure of this, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, or rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor breadth, nor anything else in all of creation will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. 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 And so you're to rest in that. Lord, you love me. And how do I know that you love me? I know because you sent your son to live and die and rise from the grave for me. See, this is meant to have a deep-moving personal effect on our hearts and minds. And is really key to growing as a Christian. One who got this, maybe more than any, in the Bible, is the Apostle Paul. He said this in Galatians 2, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh, by faith in the Son of God. Now listen to this. Who loved me and gave himself for me. He lives his life for Jesus. And he says, who loved me. And gave himself for me. See, Paul had a personal awareness of God's specific love for him. God wants you to have the exact same personal awareness of his love for you. Now you might be thinking, well, that's the Apostle Paul. That's the church planter of the ages, that's the writer of many of our New Testament um, letters. Of course, he loves the Apostle Paul. Well, the Apostle Paul has done a lot more wrong things than you have. The Apostle Paul, before he was called Paul, was called Saul. He was a Pharisee. He was named after King Saul of the Old Testament. And we have glimpses of his pre-Christian life. And they're not flattering. The first account we see is Stephen, the first Christian to be martyred, to be killed for the faith. He's dying. And it says Saul is there approving of his death. The Apostle Paul then, before he became a Christian, right when he was becoming a Christian, he's on the road to Damascus. He has a list of names of Christians that he's going to hunt down and imprison and possibly be killed for their faith in Jesus. So he had blood on his hands. Jesus himself, when he spoke to Paul on the road to Damascus, says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? See, the Apostle Paul was being charged with persecution of Jesus Himself. I've done a lot of wrong things. That's not one on my record, for sure. So when he understood the Gospel for the first time, it amazed him, and that's why he can say, who loved me and gave Himself for me. Rest in Christ's love for you. Last point. Rest in your adoption. All right, that's right. Rest in your adoption. You're not just forgiven. You're not just paid for in a legal sense. You're in the family. You've been brought in. You're a son or daughter. That changes everything. My kids talk to me differently than every other kid in this room or every other kid that I know. They, they, they approach me with much more boldness and confidence and work me over for things. <laughs> Just like I did my parents. Why do they do that? Because I'm their dad. That's why they do that. That's that that's a unique relationship. That that changes everything. Listen to this verse. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man but of God. When you trusted in Jesus, that moment you were adopted, you became God's son or daughter. And He had great delight in adopting you, of welcoming you into the family. He had great delight in being your dad. Just like many of us have left hospitals with our our children or those of you who adopted have adopted been, have been in the court scenes where it's become official. And you see the joy on the parent's face. God delighted in your adoption. You should rest in that. The fact that you can call God Father and He hears you immediately as His own son or daughter is amazing. I want you to think about a father's watchfulness. And we're going to talk about a father. I want you to imagine the, the best father you can imagine. And God is far better than that. When want you to just think about a father's watchfulness. A good human father. He's going to watch out for his children. He's going to care for them. He's going to protect them. He's going to be mindful of them. He's going to notice when they need help. He's going to provide the things that they need. And he's going to do it with tender care he's going to hear the voice of his child who's in distress in a way he might not recognize the voice of others who are in distress i mean think of that every one of you who is either a mom or dad in this room or a grandparent you have a unique ability to hear the voice of the child that is yours so I remember when malls were a thing they're they're not much of a thing right now but even when my oldest was a toddler um, malls were still a little bit more of a thing and I remember we go to those crazy um, kid places at the mall where it's just stressed out parents and and kids running everywhere well if Isaac would be crying or hurt or need help I could hear his cry uniquely and distinctly in a way that All the other little girls and boys, I'm not really, I'm not their dad. I'm not responding unless it's catastrophic. But for my own, it is totally different. That's how God sees you. He is eager and quick to react. And you're in Christ. So he's not quick to react with a a rod or a stick. He's quick to react as a father. Even when you really get in trouble. I asked Isaac if I could tell this story, and he said sure. And he set it up. He said, "Just remember when you tell it, it was your fault, not mine." <laughs> and he's absolutely right. So here's the story. This is a true story. We were camping and mountain biking, and uh, it was myself and a friend, and Isaac and uh, my friend's sons. And four of us were more capable on mountain bikes. Isaac was kind of new to it. This was a number of years ago. And we get separated from two of the teenage boys, so it's two dads and, and Isaac. And uh, we're at the top of this really steep, rocky trail that I, I didn't really know, and it looked pretty sketchy. So I give him some really brief instructions. So I just get way behind your seat, just clamp those brakes hard, and you'll be fine. The last thing I heard him say was, "This is not safe." And sounded just like Mary when she says stuff like that. And I, dad of the year, look back and say, well, it might not be safe, but it's going to be a ton of fun. See you at the bottom. And, and so um, the other dad was up front. I'm in the middle. Isaac's behind us. And we're just kind of going down slowly. And we've ridden mountain bikes quite a bit. So we're just kind of working our way down through. And all of a sudden, Isaac comes flying by us. He panicked, let go of the brakes. And he is just full speed. And I'm thinking, oh, this is, this is going to be bad. This is not going to end well. And it didn't end well. So he's flying by us. We're watching. Now we're going faster, trying to keep up with however this is going to end. And there's a very large tree, real large diameter, cut in half and laying on the side of the trail. And he crashes smack into that, that tree. Instead of crying, instead of yelling, he just fell limp. And there was nothing. And we have seen, you know, he, by this time he's a teenager, so we dealt with uh, kid injuries and stuff. The quiet ones are more scary than the loud ones. And so there was nothing. And I'm his dad. And so I think I thought of a number of things. Oh, man, it's going to be a tough one to explain to Mary. <laughs> um, that, that, that one entered my mind. But the immediate response wasn't, why didn't you use your brakes? It wasn't correct. It wasn't, what were you thinking? I told you what to do, and you didn't listen to me. No, my immediate response was, besides fear, was compassion, care, love for my child, who just had a catastrophic wreck. And we prayed, and actually, he walked away. wasn't even hurt, which was amazing. But the point is, he crashed. And I wasn't there with a stick, or with a a mountain bike instruction book, like, this is how you need to ride. And he is right. It was my fault. I didn't really prepare him, and I on it i'm not god i'm not perfect but even imperfect my heart was for him even when you mess up as a christian god's heart is for you as his son or daughter we put ourselves in probation with the lord he doesn't put you in probation if you really mess up you think i I just need to stay away and He said, stay away from this book for a while maybe even stay away from god's people for a while i'm just going to stay away and you functionally put yourself on probation. And then when you feel good enough, you kind of work your way back up. Well, if that's you, if that's your pattern, you don't understand what Jesus has done for you. You don't understand what God thinks of you and how much he loves and delights in you. I mean, one more parent illustration. Imagine your son or daughter is bloody and messy. They fall. Their knees are scrunched up. There's blood. There's tears. There's snot. It's a mess. And they come to you as a mom or dad, and here's what you don't say to them. Go outside, go clean yourself up, and then when you're all cleaned up, you can come sit on my lap. No. You hug them, you pick them up, you got blood now, you got snot. Uh, if they're throwing up, you got vomit. You got it all the whole mess is on you. Why is that? Because you love them. You care for them. And you want to clean them up. See, that's how God thinks of you. Last thing, as a father, he delights in you. He loves you. Do you remember when you were kids, those of you who have children, or those of you who were kids and you have parents, you learned to walk and talk. You learned to ride your bike for the first time. You learned to do these things, and there was parental delight. There was joy. There was celebration. For Isaac, our firstborn, that we had this giant birthday party. There was great celebration. Sorry to my other kids. We got tired as, as the years <laughs> went on. <laughs> We, we took a lot of pictures too but the point was there was a lot of delight that's how God sees you listen to what God's word says the Lord your God is in your midst a mighty one who will save he will rejoice over you with gladness over you put your name there over you he will quiet you by his love he will exalt over you with loud singing god delights in you he celebrates that you are his his daughter his son so your homework for this week and the band can come up now is to rest in what christ has done for you it really is a key ingredient to spiritual growth let's all stand we're going to pray and then sing Father, thank you that we are covered in Jesus' righteousness. Thank you because of Jesus we are forgiven of past sins, of present sins, of future sins. Thank you that we are the object of your incredible, lavish love. And thank you that we are not unfamiliar to you, but we are your sons and your daughters. I pray these truths would be transformational for everybody watching and everybody in the room. And we look to you and ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.